39 seconds left. Manning loves it. Boris alone. Touchdown, New York. All right, like I said last week, we're getting to the point in time where we get to do things for the second time. That's right. And this is the second ever Super Bowl Spectacular edition of the Sportscasters. We are recording today. It is January 30th, uh, 2012. This is episode two. On a Monday. Or episode five, season two. Yes, it is a Monday instead of our normal Tuesday. So we're going to get this up a little bit earlier because it's going to be, I guess, a little bit less relevant earlier than it maybe normally is in the sense that by Sunday, this show might not be quite as interesting as it was. Right, right. You know, the other ones usually are good right up until we record the record the next one. But this getting one, guests will only be harder as the week goes on. Right. So uh, here we are. Uh, like we said, it's Monday, January 30th, 2012. I said season two, episode number five. We got three nice interviews lined up for you. We're going to kind of f- follow the same format that we followed last year. We have Chris Burke from SISI.com. He's going to give us a Giants kind of perspective of things. Right. Uh, Christopher Price, who I have to thank Michael Holly, who was a guest a few weeks ago. He's the beat writer for the Patriots for WEEI in Boston. He's going to join us to give the Patriots side. And then another New, Engl- New Englander, although somewhat biased, Kerry J. Byrne is going to join us to give us kind of a statistical view at the Super Bowl. Uh, what the numbers said about why these two teams are playing. There's some statistical anomalies here, which you would expect with a 9-7 and seven team in the Super Bowl. Uh, but, you know, the mother of all stats that Kerry has talked about many times in this show, you're going to be surprised at how things turned up. The top 10 today is also going to be a top 10 look at moments and memories that Don and I have from Super Bowl pasts. Uh, we're going to do the Quick book club update. Uh, that's only going to take a second, and we're going to have a Super Bowl based pick four. Before we get going, I gotta say, last week's episode, season two, episode four, is probably the most popular episode of the show ever. And, yeah, it helps uh, when you have. We a... have to thank the fans of Guns and Roses for that. Right. <laughs> um, last week we had S.L. Price and Michael Farber, who were really important interviews for this show. And what we do on a weekly basis, but kind of as a special, something different, something related, but not. We had Duff McKagan, the bassist from Guns N' Roses, on the show. And he was fantastic. He did about 40 minutes with us, which blew me away. And we posted kind of incognito uh, on a bunch of Guns N' Roses message boards and got some great response there. So I have to thank all the fans of Guns N' Roses who maybe came back for another episode. We really appreciate that. If you're interested in checking out Duff or Mr. Price or Mr. Farber, you can find that on our website, www.sports-casters.com. You can also find us on Twitter. We are at sports underscore casters. You can email us with any feedback you might have at sportscasters at gmail.com. Our blog is sportscasters.blogspot.com, although we've have been having quite a bit of fun with our Tumblr recently. And that's easy to find, the sportscasters.tumblr.com. Don't forget, no E. 
You can find all that, as I said, on our website, sportsdaskcasters.com. But let's get the Super Bowl spectacular show going. Again, we're going to have Christopher Price from WEEI in Boston, Chris Burke from Sports Illustrated, and Kerry J. Byrne from Cold Hard Football Facts. But before we can do any of that, we have to do our regular segment, which is three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever! <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep! Now let's move on to other business. My first thing this week, the Pro Bowl, uh, is celebration awesome. of the greatest players in sports. I don't know, I can't sell that. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's terrible. It's totally unwatchable. I flipped it on sometime in the fourth quarter. And I saw Cam Newton get intercepted, and nobody tried to tackle the intercepting player, who then lateraled to someone else that nobody wanted to tackle, and then he scored. It was it's garbage. They have to fix it. Um, I've seen posts on on Reddit. There's a message board, and someone suggests they the players just go there and they play Wipeout instead. The ABC game show where they have to <laughs> jump. And I think that's a great idea. Uh, I don't know that the teams would allow them to do that because of the potential for injury i suppose on the show but do something do anything else have them play have them play a soccer or something have them play softball have them do something that isn't football because it's just not a game that translates to not trying hard yeah i didn't i didn't see a lot of it but what i seen was really it was a disaster of all disasters by the flip side though is the nhl all-star game it's got a bad reputation, but at least the NHL All-Star Game is a show of skill to some degree. The There, there isn't a lot of competition, and I've heard people kind of whine about that on the radio and complain that there's no drama, There's people aren't trying. But you still see some goalies making some miraculous saves and players doing things that will just make you laugh at how skilled they are. The Pro Bowl, on the other hand, is nowhere near that. It'd be better off being flag football at this point. All right, my first thing, get us started here. I was normally you read Twitter and you see some stuff that's pretty cool. You see some stuff that's maybe pretty interesting, maybe something pretty informative. But I guess rarely am I ever inspired by a tweet. But I read one today and literally the hair on my arm stood up. And it goes like this. Two years ago today, I was told I might never walk again. Just walked off the plane in Indy to play in the Super Bowl. Hashtag take that shit cancer. And that's from Mark Herzlich at Mark Herzlich, the linebacker from Boston College who now plays for the New York Giants. And, you know, there's not much more to add. It's just it's, it's one of the things that's going to be one of the great stories of the Super Bowl this week. I'm sure we'll hear a lot about his story because, you know, we've all been affected by someone who maybe has succumbed to cancer or maybe someone who has had cancer and recovered. Uh, we saw Phil Kessel perform this weekend at the All-Star Game. Uh, it's a hockey story of someone who has fought back from cancer. But, you know, we just want to – I wasn't sure if I had a reason to cheer for one team over the other, but I think I found one. Yeah, you could cheer for players regardless. Uh, Mark Herzlich, it kind of comes full circles. I can't remember who, but somebody tweeted earlier this season that this season happened to start on 9-11, as right. it sometimes does. and. This year, 
at the beginning of the season, he came back. He made it as a special teamer, I believe. And they said if the Giants run onto the field with Mark Herzlich holding the American flag, I think America might explode or something like that with right. positivity. Right. Yeah. Someone said something along those lines, and I thought it was really good. And now he's tweeting more inspirational things, and he's really just an inspirational figure. Yeah, if you don't follow him, like I said, it, it's pretty easy. It's at Mark with a K. H-E-R-Z-L-I-C-H. My second thing this week, I saw a stat today, I think it was from the Boston Globe, of the 106 players on an NFL team, only 23 are returning to play this Super Bowl rematch from four years ago. And my first thought was, I can't decide if that's more or less, like if that number was surprisingly low or surprisingly high. I guess it's surprisingly low. I know players move a lot with free agency, but really that's only five guys from each side of the ball. And you got to think that the big name players like Brady, uh, Welker, uh, that type of guy, those guys were all still there. So really like none of the supporting cast is back. And I, I guess that to me is a little bit surprising. Yeah. But I guess one thing about, you know, maybe being a bit surprised how many players are returning. I guess when you have a team that's capable of going in the Super Bowl, one of your biggest priorities is trying to keep that team together. Right. You know, and I guess we're seeing them succeeding to varying varying degrees. Of course, you know, some players just drop out because of retirement. Or, right, that's true. You know, things like that as well. But, you know, it's interesting. There's going to be a lot of talk all week about that last Super Bowl they played. But in reality, when they snapped the ball on Sunday, that game's going to have yeah, nothing 80, to do with it. 80% of the players are different. And it, again, goes to the point last week I made that, and it's not an original point, but just how important the quarterback is. These teams both have the same quarterback. That's one of two of those 23 players, and those the most important of the 23 players. All right, I'm going to veer a little bit away from football here for my second thing. And, you know, the AP basketball poll came out today, college basketball, and we're going to start talking more about things like college basketball as we get a little bit further away from this football season, you know, next week kind of reality strikes and football is gone. The crutch that is the National Football League is no longer there for people who do shows like this one. <laughs> uh, but Kentucky is number one in the AP poll, and that's no real surprise. Right. Uh, they got 63 of the 65 first-place votes. Uh, Syracuse got a first-place vote, as did Ohio State. Ohio State, of course, uh, was in our game of the week last week, and uh, they easily won that. Some other teams in the top 10 are no surprise, North Carolina, Duke, Kansas, Michigan State. One team that would surprise you is Murray State, is number 10. Murray State. Murray State. Uh, okay. They're called the, want to take a guess what their name is? Bears. No. <laughs> Some other animal. Well, Baylor is in the top 10, and they're, they're the Bears. Uh, the Murray... Griffins. No, racers. Racers. Yeah, they race around. Gotcha. Uh, they're the lone unbeaten team in Division One basketball. Wow. And they have cracked the first time. It's the first time ever in school history that they are in the top ten. You know, for the last two seasons in a row, a mid-major team in Butler has right. went all the way to the national championship game. And that first time against Duke, ooh, they missed by that much on that last second kind of heave about half court or so but uh congratulations to murray state and we'll see if they're the team that uh crashes the party this year in the ncaa basketball tournament all right my last point my last thing this week uh i'm gonna do a little hackneyed thing here but i got 13 pages wow 
of prop bets for the Super Bowl. Those are fun. People like these. Uh, Vegas loves them because they're sucker bets for the most part. I just kind of highlighted a few of them. One one of them that's strange to me, and I'm trying to think of where their mindset is at, but will Kelly Clarkson's bare belly be showing when she sings the national anthem? No. That, to me, I, I don't know if that is that a fat joke. Like, I mean, do they mean like she's going to be wearing something tight and her belly is going to show, or are they just expect that from pop stars have they not seen kelly clarkson she's like they think she's gonna wear a half cut shirt right i don't know she's tacked on a couple pounds since her american she's idol definitely days. gonna have her belly covered i would think so that's plus 300 well, so you're not gonna get very good odds there no but if you want to put down a hundred dollars to make 300 uh will madonna the opposite plus 300 right so oh it's plus yeah that she won't it says, will Kelly Clarkson's bare belly be shown? Oh, okay. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Will Madonna wear a hat at any point during the Super Bowl halftime show? That's Maybe. That's pretty random. No idea. Uh, how many times will Jim Ursay be mentioned during the game over under one? How many times will Andrew Luck over under one? How many times will they show David Tyree's Super Bowl catch over under one? And interesting stuff like that. What will the, happen to the Dow Jones the day after the Super Bowl? Apparently, uh, usually it goes up because market up is minus one forty. So, is there anything that ties in another sport to football? Yes, there's a bunch of them. Like and actually, uh, will the New England Patriots win and the Boston Celtics win? That pays forty to one. Will the Patriots and Red Sox both win? That pays eighteen to one. Will the Bruins and Patriots win? Pays nine to one. Also, right after that, these little will they and type things is will the Patriots win and admit. Romney be the Republican candidate for the of 2012 course. election pays three to two. Yeah. So, I mean, if there's usually anything, the coin toss is in there, uh, yeah, I'm you know, sure it which, is. will it be heads? Will it be tails? Usually there's something like who will win it. Also, there's usually an over under on how long it's going to take to sing the national anthem. There is. That's uh, one of the first things actually it's over under a minute 34. Okay. I don't know what it typically goes. Me neither. I I guessed correctly last year it was uh what what's her name was Christina it, uh, Aguilera right last year I figured she'd be a little bit flashy do the uh, whatever the runs yeah I figured oh she's definitely going over and she did Kelly Clarkson might be a little more respectful and maybe a little more simpler version so she might go under one that was popular in the nineties and I wonder if there's something similar is who will score more points the winning team or Michael Jordan. <laughs> they have something like that with, say, like a LeBron James or an NBA star like that. Not that I saw, but it, it doesn't mean it's not possible. But, it, again, Michael Jordan back then was was a big, big, big name, and basketball was much bigger than I don't – Right. Which would be higher, wagers. So but, I told you this off the air, but I actually won one of these bets one yeah. time. And I had put money on Devin Hester as he would be the first player to score – in the Super Bowl, that was the Colts versus the Bears, and he returned the opening kickoff for a touchdown. Forgot what it paid. I think it was maybe in the twenty to one range. Um, it was pretty good, and I had bet twenty five dollars on it, so I was pretty happy with that. But uh, you asked about Michael Jordan. They don't have total points, but uh, there's a lot of them. Which will be higher? Wagers for games played on February fifth only. Hakeem Nick's receptions or goals in the Flyers Bruins games. Mario Manningham receptions, Marion Gabrick shots on goals. Uh, Tim Hardaway three point shots or Eli Manning TD passes. So you can bet on absolutely anything, but like I said, they are known as sucker bets because a lot of these 
are total shots in the dark and you got to pay $115 to win 100 but if you think you really know if uh Mod Bradshaw is going to have more rushing attempts and Keith Appling is going to have points then knock yourself out. What about MVP? Do they have odds for they bunch sure of players? They sure do. And what are the MVP odds? The popular ones of course Brady and Manning, Brady being 13 to 10 and Eli being 9 to 4. Gronkowski with the next best odds at 15 to 2, which is surprising given his What's injury. the field? The field? I don't know even know if they have a field. They listed Oh, field is 20 to 1. 20 to 1. But you got a list. You're going down like Chad Ochocinco has odds. So to bet the field, you're betting guys that they think have a worse shot than <laughs> Chad Ochocinco, I guess. Right. Well, there was one more I was going to ask you about. Oh, do they have a first score this year? They have a first touchdown. First touchdown. That is Gronkowski is 11 to 2, Hernandez 15 to 2, Ben Jarvis 15 to 2, Victor Cruz 15 to 2, Wes Welker 15 to 2. So if you get a chance, print that out because it's really it is fun and fascinating yeah, to look at. It's crazy the things that people will bet on, but Vegas is going to make a boatload on these like they do every year. All right, my uh, third thing and the last one for three things today. Really big news in the sports world today was announced by the WWE <laughs> that Mike Tyson will be inducted into their Hall of Fame. And uh, Mike Tyson says he's honored to be inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. I was the youngest heavyweight champion of all time, but the most fun I ever had in the ring was with the WWE. I didn't know he was in the WWE. His history with them was very brief. Um, in 1998, while he was suspended from boxing, he appeared on Monday Night Raw to stare down Stone Cold Steve Austin, had a little brawl with him. Um, that led to Tyson being the enforcer at WrestleMania 14 okay. in the Austin versus Shawn Michaels match. Um, he then returned in January of 2010, uh, teaming with Chris Jericho in a tag team match against Shawn Michaels and Triple H. Uh, but Tyson turned on Jericho and knocked him out, allowing Michaels to pin. So for those brief stints, he will be in the celebrity wing of the WWE Hall of Fame with such greats as Drew Carey, Bob Euchre, uh, William Refrigerator Perry, and Pete Rose. Other inductees that night are The Edge, The Four Horsemen, and others. The Edge, huh? The Edge. Without Christian? Without Christian. <laughs> and The Four Horsemen will be Ric Flair... Arn Anderson, Barry Windham, and Tully uh, Blanchard. Okay. Now, my question to you is uh, you have a buddy online who's a big wrestling guy. He talked about how wrestling had kind of two heydays, and that's kind of when I watched it too. Right, uh, the 80s the basically, 80s, and then the and he Austin called it era. like the Attitude, attitude era. era, right. Will it ever get back to that? No. You think it's done? Um, well, I mean, it, it needs someone – I mean, the Attitude Era, it had Austin, it had The Rock, it had right. Mankind. These guys have all gone on to do movies and sell best-selling books. Well, I shouldn't say no, because here's the thing. Unlike, like, we just seen this happen in UFC, right? The, the thing that is the hardest for UFC is it's tough for them to build stars because at any point, a guy could make a mistake and get, get caught in out. an arm bar, have to tap out, right. or get knocked out, and they just thought they had the next... Huge, huge star in MMA with 
Brock Lesnar, and then just everything went wrong for the guy. Right. And then he got knocked out and said that that was it for him. Well, one thing that the WWE has proven they can do over a long period of time is create stars. Yep. And I guess I can't discount the opportunity, the, 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 the chance that they could create another Stone Cold Steve Austin type of star. And it takes a certain time and place for this to click. You know, in the 1980s, it clicked because of Hulk Hogan and the tie-ins that they had with pop culture like MTV and rock right. and wrestling and the chance to get out into the mainstream. And Stone Cold Steve Austin happened because it was the right time, a time where people were frustrated in America and a great time for people to be able to sit back on a Monday night and watch someone hit their boss, smack their boss around. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I shouldn't say no. Um, it's not that time right now uh they are going to be debuting a network soon the wwe 24 hour 24 7 network which everyone has always thought was a great idea they have a huge collection of video yeah and we'll see maybe that will rekindle some interest from the common folk there's enough nostalgia there and they believe me they take the nostalgia angle and they play that to death yeah but if they they don't waste a chance at that but let's not waste any more time (laughs) talking about wrestling today I just thought it was an interesting, uh, interesting thing that Congrats Mike Tyson. Iron Mike. He's also a member of the International Boxing Hall of Fame, so <laughs> at least he's in one serious Hall of Fame. Right. All right. Here's where we go for here. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back with an interview with Chris Burke. He's going to talk to us about the Giants side of things and also talk to us about uh, the Super Bowl in Indianapolis, how the city is at this point of the week. We're also going to do the Sportscasters Top 10 with our Top 10 Moments and Memories from Super Bowl Pass. Then we're going to do an interview with Kerry J. Byrne from ColdHeartFootballFacts.com about the uh, statistical aspect of the show. I think last year we did a similar thing with Aaron Schatz, but since then we've just decided that Kerry's our guy. and we, He's been nice. We happen to prefer Cold Heart Football Facts over uh, Football Outsiders. That's Even- just our preference. So we're going to stick with Kerry. He's our guy. We're going to do a quick book club update, and then our last interview is going to be with Christopher Fr- Price, who is a beat writer for WEEI and the Patriots, and then close the show with Pick 4, uh, Super Bowl edition. So we got a lot to do. Let's take a break and come back with Chris Burke. <laughs> Our next guest is from Grand Rapids, Michigan, and is a graduate of the University of Michigan. He has worked as an NFL editor, blogger, and associate producer for FanHouse. Today, he lives in Arlington, Virginia, where he is a featured NFL blogger for SportsIllustrated.com. He is making his second appearance on the podcast and is live from Indianapolis, Indiana. A warm sportscaster's welcome to the very talented Chris Burke. How are you doing today, Chris? Doing well. Thanks for having me back on. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Uh, everyone's busy this week, so just an extra thanks to really all our guests for making a little bit of time. I know how crazy things are. You're down in Indianapolis. We're not there yet. Why don't you just give us a little bit of uh, just kind of general impression of how the city's holding up and what things are like, and I know the weather's beautiful. Yeah, it was a great day today. It's uh, mid-50s all day, so there are plenty of people out and about. Uh it's nice. It's really, uh, everything is really well set up. Um, so far the reaction from the media and everything's been almost unanimous in, uh, in favor of Indianapolis doing a good job here. I mean, everything, I mean, from, 
from my perspective, at least, uh, just going back and forth to press conferences and things like that today, everything's uh, within walking distance, and you can they have skyways between buildings, so you're inside the whole time. Uh, all the uh, activities and events are within like a eight to ten block radius right downtown. So I mean, it's uh, it's a great setup, and especially. You know, compared to last year where Dallas, I mean, Dallas obviously has a lot to offer, but it was really spread out and then they got hit with the bad weather Cold, there. Yeah. So it's been, it's been a completely different experience so far from what last year was. You know, one thing that's always fascinating me about Super Bowl, and I don't know if you got a chance to check it out at all, is Radio Row. Have you been over there to check that out? Yeah, I'm actually sitting right outside of it right now. Oh. Uh, and uh yeah they're uh they've got everyone sort of settling in today they were you know it gets a little busier right. as the week later in the week um but yeah everyone's pretty much settled in they nice little food spread out for people and, uh, the big thing today that was the most popular attraction today in the whole place was this uh lego mock up right of, i heard about that <laughs> of the of, stadium uh, Lucas Oil Stadium, yeah, and it's, uh, you know, it's the Lego thing has a retractable roof. It's got video boards. I mean, so that was, that was the big thing everyone was hitting today. But yeah, it's, uh, it's all set up in there and there's, uh, you know, like you said, it'll be, <laughs> it'll be a little crazier as the week goes on. But, uh, yeah, people are settling in and all the media from New York and Boston are here now, I think, for the most part. So it's, it's definitely ramping up a bit. Yeah, you know, I don't know about you, but I I never knew what the hell to do with Legos. Like, I could never make anything with those things. Like, I just <laughs> no, remember, I definitely... like, putting them on top of each other, but I never made close to a stadium. No, I mean, I think I could have handled the part where he dropped in the little people in their coasters. Right, the pre-made people. The game, but, uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I definitely didn't have anywhere near that ability. I want to talk to you a little bit about the Giants um, now that we've gotten a bit of a feel for kind of what's going on. I know it's early in the week down there, but as far as the Giants go, do you think – Do you? well, first of all, obviously we played this game a few years ago in some sense, and there's a, only a couple players on both teams that are going to play in both games, but do you think that what happened in that game is going to be a factor at all um, other than just something for us to talk about all week? Or, do you, or uh, what's your thoughts there? I, I mean, I, I really don't for the most part. I, I think if there's anywhere it'll be a factor, it's just in the general confidence level of maybe an Eli Manning or something. But, you know, he's playing at such a high level right now anyway um, that I don't know that he really needs that extra boost. I don't think from a planning, game planning standpoint, it's really going to have a factor um, because, like you said, it's it, it's not like the rosters are all that, Similar. I mean, some of the big pieces, uh, Brady and Manning, you know, some of those guys are are still there. But I, I think both teams have changed enough that it. Uh, I can't imagine they're going to go back and look at tape from that game and uh, and try to pick things out. And, and to some extent, even the game from this year, I think they'll have trouble going back and doing that because uh, so many people were injured and out of that game. So, uh, you know, from a fan standpoint it's interesting to talk about and maybe from that little tiny mental edge the Giants have just knowing that they've been in this situation and have won it but I don't think it's I don't think it's going to be a huge factor come Sunday. You know one thing that is uh, similar is that both times 
that the Giants have played the Patriots in the Super Bowl, they actually lost a game to a pretty pitiful Washington Redskins team really late in the season and then just went on this incredible run. How did they do it this year? I mean, I know that they played the Saints in New Orleans, and I, I watched them play that game, and they just they felt like an afterthought. I mean, they didn't even feel close to a playoff team, and here they are having beat the juggernaut of juggernauts as we proclaim them all season in the Packers, you know, and then they win the NFC championship game and they're playing in another Super Bowl. And do you have any explanation for it? Have you noticed a bit? Is it just getting healthy? Is it as simple as that? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a huge part of it. It's funny. I was talking just out to dinner with a couple of people last night, um, sort of talking about how, you know, whether it was the Giants or the Cowboys or the Eagles, whatever team came out of the NFC East and wound up winning that thing really probably would have had a chance to make this run. There was enough talent on those teams to do that. Um, and it was just a matter, you know, the Giants are healthy, like you said. They're clicking at the right time. I mean, they always had the talent, especially on offense. I mean, you look around, there's weapons all over the place. So it was just a matter of, of putting it all together and uh, – you know, so much of the NFL playoffs and uh, really the playoffs in any sport is just that hitting it at the right time. And they, uh, you know, they start at home with a favorable matchup against the Falcons and roll on that one. And then, you know, they, they were one of the few teams that matched up pretty well with the Packers and happened to get them just a few days after they had that tragedy uh, with uh, Joe Philbin's son. I, I mean, so it was, it's just a combination, I think, of, they always had that ability there, but it's really started to gel at, at the perfect time for them. You know, every Super Bowl we go in and and we know we know the we know the stars. We know the Eli Mannings, the Pierre Pauls, the Tucks. But you know, sometimes it's a guy like Tracy Porter who picks off Peyton Manning and and changes the game for a team. Is there a, is there a player you can think of on the Giants that's maybe a little bit off the star radar that you think can have a big impact in this game? Uh, well, I think Michael Boley's been an interesting guy to watch this postseason. He had a big game against the Packers um, and really made some huge plays down the stretch in that game. And he's going to be – it'll be interesting to see how they use him if they decide to blitz Brady or if they're going to try and sit back and uh, cover with some extra people. So I think I think on the Giants' side, you know, he's a guy that you want to watch. Deion Grant, too, I think they'll come in and use him um, – Last time I played the Patriots, they used him a lot on Gronkowski, and they used him a lot on some on some unique blitz looks. So uh, he could have a big hand in it on their side. Um, and then, you know, you go to the Patriots side, and it's there's some names that are going to be, you know, there's going to be some guys playing that uh, you look at like a Julian Edelman who could be, make a big play on in the return game, but also might wind up covering Victor Cruz or something in the slot. So um, he, he's, if I had to pick someone on the Patriots to sort of be that sleeper MVP pick, as it were, I think it might be him. You know, you mentioned Victor Cruz, and I, I always think back to hard knocks and uh, um, Rex Ryan shaking Tom Coughlin's hand and saying, wow, that number three is a hell of a player. And, uh, you know, since that three-touchdown game in the in the preseason, he's really emerged as maybe one of the star-wide receivers in the league. Is Was there anything that, uh, I mean, where, where, <laughs> these guys blow me away. Where, where do they find a guy like Victor Cruz? 
Yeah, right. I mean, it's just it, it's just such a hit or miss proposition. So yeah. often in the NFL, I mean, just as easily have. Uh, <laughs> I mean, even guys that have been around for. I mean, you look even at the Patriots. You they the big thing this summer was they they went out and signed Chad Ochocinco, and you think, oh well, the big name, maybe they can revive him, and he has done absolutely nothing this season. So, uh, I mean, it's just. You get a guy like Cruz, and he he found a. It, it was just such a good situation for him. You have Manning throwing in the ball, obviously, which is a boost. But you also have uh, a Nixon. decent enough run game to draw attention. You have Nixon, Manningham on the outside. I mean, so there, you know, you slot him in there, and sort of he starts off as kind of this unknown commodity, and and now by the time t- defenses have caught on, he he's already become such a big weapon that it's hard for them to adjust. Yeah, you know, I want to read you a tweet here and tell me if this doesn't fire you up. It goes, two years ago today, I was told I might never walk again. Just walked off the plane in Indy to play in the Super Bowl. Uh, hashtag take that shit cancer. And that's from Mark Herzlich from the Giants. Um, what kind of role? I know he's he did start a few games. Um, but other than maybe just some inspiration from the team, are we, can we expect to see him much in this game? Or is his impact going to be on special teams? Yeah, that's uh, that's a terrific story, and I'm sure he'll be one of the guys that get a lot of attention come Wednesday, Thursday, when they kind of open up the players for media access. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know that he'll have a huge role, especially when you talk about trying to defend the Patriots, where they're probably going to be in a and Giants will probably be in you know nickel situations where they only have two, one or two linebackers on the field. So. Um, you know, I, I we'll probably see him on special teams, and you you might get him in there every once in a while on defense. But I I can't imagine he'd have a huge role in this game. But um, yeah, I mean, like he said, <laughs> I think the story's bigger than how well he plays on Sunday. Right. When it comes to covering a Super Bowl, you know, it could be really easy to be lazy. You know, there's some really obvious storylines that are out there. You know, we could talk for 10 minutes about things like the rematch between Eli and Peyton, or we could talk about the story of, or Eli and Brady, I'm sorry, or we could talk about the story of, you know, Peyton Manning and being a star in Indianapolis and and hosting the Super Bowl and having his brother and his rival there. There's some easy stuff. As a writer, what are some other storylines that interest you, some stuff that's maybe a little bit off the radar that you think could turn into a really nice piece for your blog that maybe we didn't think of before? Uh, you know, a lot of it really has to do with, uh, it's such a circus here when you talk about trying to get a hold of people, um, that so much of it just has to do with, you know, you get to practice, like I said, Wednesday or Thursday, and you just sort of almost pick out some guys that might not get that media swarm around them. Um, and so, you, you know, it's always, if you can find something with, uh, I mean, I tend to look towards almost, you know, you go look at something like the backup quarterbacks or some of the, you know, some of the special teams guys, punters and the kickers, um, even some of the veteran offensive linemen, you, you're probably not going to get uh, tons of media going to. So it, it's, uh, it all comes down to really which teams are there and then, who you can get access to, but I I think that there's, you know, if you search <laughs> if you search enough, I think there's enough storylines here that are are going to be good beyond the obvious, and even uh, you know, even today that there was a limited access to players today, but you have like uh, you know, even the Deion Branch storyline coming back with the Patriots is a good one. They had Dan the Patriots brought Dan Connolly out, um, 
was just an interesting it's just an interesting story how he uh fits into that team um so there's there's enough to keep you busy for sure and uh i'm sure we'll find everyone will pick over as many of the non-obvious storylines as they can too over the next few days the Sportscasters are here with uh, Chris Burke from Sports Illustrated. You can find him on Twitter. Follow him for sure this week at Chris Burke underscore SI. That's B-U-R-K-E. And, of course, his blog is on SI.com. Uh, let's get you out of here on this. Who do you think is going to win, and why do you think they're going to win? Uh, I mean, I think right now I'm leaning towards the Patriots in a really close one. Um, and quite honestly, every time I say that, I almost start second-guessing myself immediately because it feels like, the Giants match up better on paper, but uh, I think that I think the Patriots are going to have a nice game plan on both sides of the ball. Um, and I, it's hard, even with how Eli Manning's been playing, to go against Tom Brady in these situations. So uh, we'll see how Gronkowski's feeling as the week goes on. That'll be a big part. But I think Patriots, and I'll say by three for now. Okay, uh, thank you very much, Chris, for your time. We really appreciate it. Down in Indianapolis, the guy he's at, Chris Burke underscore SI. He's going to be blogging on uh, SI.com. Anything else that we should know about what you're going to be doing this week down in Indy? Uh, well, Tuesday I'll uh, be at the media day. we live blogging from there. And then uh, we also have a live blog going uh, during the game, Super Bowl Sunday. So uh, in addition to all the other stuff that, that's happening, uh, hopefully people can look out for those okay well i know it's i know it's crazy and busy days down there and i just i hope you can enjoy it and have a good time and hopefully it's a great game and thank you very much again for giving us some time today yeah i appreciate it thanks for having me thank you chris All right, we are back with the Sportscasters 10. You know, I'm pretty excited about this one, Don, because for a while, it just so happened that we've been doing ones that didn't necessarily have any order. Right. But for once, mine are in order. Yes, mine are too. Okay, the Sportscasters Top 10 today is the Top 10 Super Bowl moments, players, performances, and victories since 1985. And here's why I picked 1985. I was born in 1980. Don was born in 1981. And if I really sit and think about it, the first Super Bowl I can remember watching was the Bears and Patriots Super Bowl at the end of the 1985 season. I don't remember a lot of details, but I know that I watched it. I remember being at a party with my parents at one of their friends' house, and I remember seeing the Super Bowl. Um, A couple years later, Don, I remember that we watched the Broncos and Redskins Super Bowl at our friend Steve Peace house okay they had a party we were there we were young though i mean i don't remember a lot about the game if we even watch much of it i think we probably played most of the time right but i didn't want to make a list and you know put joe namus guarantee on there because personally that's just before us it means nothing to us obviously doing what we do and trying to be the sports fans that we are we've read a lot about things like that right and that's a big reason we have the book club is because we want to learn you know for example the book and we're going to talk about a little bit later but the book club this month we're looking at a game that i remember watching but i was 12 years old i can remember where i was i can remember uh 
I can remember seeing that play very vividly. But I didn't. I didn't know the backstory. I didn't know, you know, that Rick Pitino had just moved from the Knicks to Kentucky. That Kentucky was previously on probation. I didn't know that. So obviously, we, we try to learn as much as we can. But when we wanted to do these lists, we didn't want to put things on there that just were beyond our scope of right. our lives as sports fans. So. Let's get into it here, and I guess we'll just go back and forth, 10, 10, 9, 9. And uh, like I said, this is these are personal lists. We'd love to hear yours. You're more than welcome to email us at thesportscasters at gmail.com at any time to let us know what would be on your list, and you're free to tell us what stupid ones we had or what ones <laughs> were pretty good. But I think these lists are somewhat personal, and we'll see. Don and I haven't shared them with each other yet, so we'll see where we overlap, where we were different. And we'll see how many different, you know, Super Bowl moments we get. See if we get 15 different ones or 17 or we'll see where we end up. So, Don, you can kick us off. Again, this is the top 10 Super Bowl moments, players, performances, and victories since 1985, which was the Chicago Bears versus New England Patriots Super Bowl. All right, like you said, these are kind of personal and mine are going to kind of show when I started to become a, a sports fan that paid attention. I always kind of watched and followed sports, but... Some of mine happened in my later teen years. Uh, number 10 does not. I mean, it's this is when I'm about 20 years old. Uh, Super Bowl 35, 2001. Ron Dixon of the Giants returns a kickoff after halftime for a 97-yard TD. It made that game uh, Giants-Ravens. It made the Giants, brought them back into that game. I believe it was like 17-7 or something at that point. But it was immediately followed by a Jermaine Lewis 84-yard kickoff return for a TD. Uh it was the only exciting point and probably the worst Super Bowl I can remember. It was terribly boring. It was never close. And for a split second, they made a game out of it, and then it was over again. Right. That actually made it 17-7. to 17-7. Right. And then it ended up being 24-7 one play later. Yep. All right. My number 10. Leon Lutt is too fat and too slow to make it into the end zone. Uh, Don Beebe makes him look like a fool in Super Bowl 27 and knocks the ball out of Lutt's hand near the end zone, and it, it ended up rolling out of the end zone for a touchback. Probably the lone bright spot in the third of the four Bills Super Bowl, which the Cowboys won 51-17. to That was the one that was played in Pasadena. All right, we already have one that matches. My number nine was actually Leon Lett in Super Bowl twenty seven. It's kind of a one guy is going to always be known in a positive light for that, Don Beebe never giving up in a game that was well out of reach, and Leon Lett known for that mistake, and then again later on Thanksgiving versus Miami, botching the blocked field goal and allowing Miami to win the game. So Leon Lett uh, didn't, isn't known for the best things. <laughs> no, and, you know, you can just picture Don Beebe kind of looking up and seeing him running down the field yeah. and out of frustration saying, there's just no way I'm going to let this fat oh, bastard sure. score this yeah, touchdown. Yeah. You yeah. know, and just giving it everything he had. And I always respected that about him. All right, my number nine, Randy Moss just missed the most legendary moment in Super Bowl history. Everyone remembers Plaxico Burris' uh, Super Bowl 42 winning touchdown, and obviously that's been going to be everywhere in the next week or so as people prepare for the rematch of that game. But if you remember, the Patriots still had some time for a miracle afterwards. And the very first pass that Tom Brady threw down the field just bounced off the fingertips of Randy Moss and fell innocently to the ground. Hmm. 
The Giants ended up winning that game 17-14. to 14. Yeah, I forgot about if that. If Randy Moss catches that ball, and some people have said he should have. Yeah. The Patriots are going to have a chance to kick a field goal there and tie that game. And if you watch it, especially if you get the view from in front of Moss, okay, you can see that that was so close. <laughs> and it's I'll never inches. forget that moment and uh, just going, man. Because that's when a lot of times Moss has caught that ball. My number eight uh, is probably on your list, but maybe in a different way. I'm going to say uh, Sean Payton calling for an onside kick coming back from halftime. Everyone remembers the Tracy Porter play. It's a huge play. It basically sealed the game for them. That said, I don't think they win that game if Sean Payton doesn't make that call. It was only 10-6 to at halftime, but I don't think you would argue that they were being somewhat not somewhat. They were being pretty badly outplayed, just not outscored. Right. The game had switched just a tiny bit with the sequence that half after the fourth and one missed right. by the Saints. Because the, the Colts actually did the Saints a favor, if you remember. After fourth and one, the Patriots, or the, excuse me, the Colts basically sat on the ball. Right. And the Saints ended up getting a chance to kick a field goal to make it 10 six. Right. So the pendulum was swinging just a little bit. And uh, that's why I, w- I would agree with you that with, that was such a big play. Because it kept the pendulum swimming, swinging our yep. way, and if Peyton gets the ball there, yeah, it and could be seventeen to touchdown. Six. It's seventeen to six. That might be over. But yeah, that's one. So that makes my list as one of the maybe gutsiest calls ever. There was a an onside kick in another game. I can't remember exactly which one. It was one. the Steelers and the Cowboys. Right, but they Surprise were down, they were down they were down ten, and I believe that was the third or fourth quarter. So the reason that this is a little bit gutsier to me is that it's this is coming out of the half. You're only down one score. But Peyton felt like he needed to do it. And he said in, in the, all the interviews that he was just confident it was going to work because it worked all week in practice. But still a gutsy call. My number eight. And uh, Hank Basket is the yeah. Colt that let the ball hit right him basically in the face. All right, my number eight is Ty Law intercepting a Kurt Warner pass and returning it 47 yards for a touchdown. That was the first time that I thought that the Patriots actually had a chance to upset the greatest show on turf in Super Bowl 43. 36, and then obviously later Adam Vanditeri made it happen, and the Patriots won their first Super Bowl by a score of 20 to 17. My number seven, uh, again, this is maybe the least personal to me, but it's one of the most iconic catches of all time in football, and that's Montana to Taylor in Super Bowl 23 back in '89. So I was only seven years old, so I don't remember where I was. I don't remember if I watched this game or what I was doing during this game, but since then I've seen the play. A million times they've used it in commercials they've used it everywhere uh it might it might still hold up as the latest touchdown to win a game that's kind of one of them strange stats but uh it and it kind of cemented montana's legacy if there was any doubt just again just an iconic iconic play everyone can picture that from the back of the end zone and so you said you were seven i would have been like yeah, like seven and a half. So I was about eight and a half, and I do remember watching that. I was actually at my grandmother's house, and what I remember most about it is that I didn't see most of the Super Bowl. And I don't know what I was doing, but I remember that I really only seen the fourth quarter. Yeah. So, And that might have been one of those early things that kind of shaped me as a sports fan, seeing such a kind of exciting moment like that. All right. Uh, that means I'm up to number seven, and I have a 49ers one as well. This would fall under the performance category. Jerry Rice catches seven passes for 147 yards and three touchdowns 
and a 49ers route of the Broncos in Super Bowl 24. Scores 55 to 10. And uh, I remember watching this game. I went. I was with my dad. We went to a friend of his house who his buddies, my dad and his buddies used to always tease this friend and call his house the ashtray <laughs> because it was a really small place. Okay. And uh, his wife, they used to call her the couch potato. Okay. Because she, I guess she was lazy. But uh, that's where we watched it. And it was just t- this was when, like, the Super Bowl was just consistently a bust. Yeah. You know what I mean? This was when there was just years and years of just blowout after blowout. What game was that? He played, they played, was that the uh, Denver game or San Diego? Yeah, it was the Denver, Denver game, Super Bowl 24. So right b- the year before the Bills. Right, right. This would be the playoffs that um, Ronnie Harmon dropped the ball in the end zone in Cleveland, yeah, Cleveland yeah. for the Bills to have a chance to move on. So they played 88 AFC Championship game, 89 they lose to Cleveland in the division round, and then the next four years they went to the Super, Super Bowl. My number six, you touched on it a little bit. Uh, Adam Vinatieri kind of earns the reputation as being clutch uh, in Super Bowl thirty-six. That's two thousand two, with a kick to make the as time expired over St. Louis to win twenty to seventeen, and he would go on to do it again against Carolina. My number six, uh, the Titans held the greatest show on turf for to three field goals and a nine-yard Toriel touchdown. And kept pace into the fourth quarter. The game was actually tied going into the fourth quarter, 16-16. to And then finally, the Rams broke through as you knew they would. Isaac Bruce caught a 73-yard touchdown from Kurt Warner. And then the game was capped off by Kevin Dyson being a yard short on a Mike Jones tackle. And the Rams won Super Bowl 34-23-16. And then Dick Vermeil cried about it. <laughs> My number five, uh, just because I can't bring myself to put it higher, is wide right. Scott Norwood, who, as we touched on last week, did not miss a gimme, as some Bills fans might have that memory burned into their head. But it was a 47-yarder, Super Bowl 25, 1991. Again, maybe this is why I hate to see games lost on mistakes. And I'm sure it's a homer thought, but I think that would have been the best Super Bowl ever if he makes it. Being the Homer Bills fan I am, it's I know it was a great one, but it's it's not held in that same regard. Uh, along with that is an honorable mention to Whitney Houston for basically setting the standard for national anthems at the beginning of that game. Yeah, it doesn't get much better than that, that's for sure. All right, uh, my number five, James, Har- James Harrison intercepts Kurt Warner on the last play of the half and takes about 100 yards for a touchdown. I won the squares because of that, <laughs> the halftime squares. Uh, that was Super Bowl 43. The Steelers went on to win that one, 27-23, on really a crazy back-and-forth sequence at the end, eventually uh, San Antonio Holmes on what could have easily made my list, uh, catching the ball. I kind of had a rule when I did this. I didn't pick more than one moment from uh, each Super Bowl, but you could you could change them out either way. But I just thought the Harrison being the big guy and taking that interception 100 yards to win me the cash. Yeah, yeah that Super Bowl was interesting because that was the total bust of a Super Bowl. It was just really, really boring. And then that play happened, and then it was still kind of boring, and then it was a, just an absolute hell great loose. finish. Yeah. Yeah. My number four, not football-related, but the halftime show of Super Bowl thirty-eight: Janet Jackson and uh, Nipplegate or wardrobe malfunction, whatever you want to call it. I know it's very high on my list, but pop culturally, there may never have been a moment in any Super Bowl that trumps it there between the overreactions from networks about censorship after that and how there's a 10 second delay with any live programming uh just a total 
disaster, and I don't know what they were thinking when they planned it or whatever. It's supposed to be supposedly a wardrobe malfunction, but that I figured it had to be somewhere on my list because I remember exactly where I was and what I thought. Everyone must have thought the same thing, like, just what the hell is that? Right. Well, I have a little note on my sheet, and it says that I've seen every Bowl, every Super Bowl since Bears versus Patriots with one exception. I missed most of Super Bowl 38 between the oh. Patriots and the Panthers due to illness. It's probably the sickest day of my life, and the thought of anything from that Super Bowl makes me cringe, so I completely ignored it on my <laughs> list. What number was that for you, four? Number four. Yep. All right, my number four. In their last chance to win a Super Bowl, uh, at least so far, the Bills took a sixteen or 13-6 to lead into halftime and looked to be in position to defeat the favorite Cowboys. Instead, Thurman Thomas fumbled early in the third quarter, and James Washington returned at 46 yards for a touchdown. The Cowboys never looked back. Won Super Bowl 28-30-13. So if you think about that play, the Bills are up 13-6, to and it's only a 46-yard return, so they were driving a bit. Yeah. You know, they're at their own 46. They're in good field position. Uh, maybe they get down and get some points and change that game, but instead... Thurman Thomas with an untimely fumble, and it gets returned for a touchdown. And like I said, the Cowboys never look back. seems like with the exception of the Giants' loss, that every one of those Bills games was turned on just some disastrous turnover. Uh, the 55-17 game, Kelly had an early, early pick six or fumble. It might have been technically gone down as a fumble. My number three, uh, it would be higher except for the way I remember it is probably the way most people remember it, and that's somewhat incorrectly, but David Tyree's catch in Super Bowl Forty Two. The only reason I don't put this higher, because I think it's maybe the most clutch catch of all time, is if he dropped it, they still had another chance. It was only third down. There was a minute and 15 remaining, so it wasn't a do-or-die play. Uh, but just the way it went down, it was unbelievable. Uh, Eli basically threw up a prayer. Maybe he should have been a little smarter with it, but to his in his defense, it worked. But just an unbelievable, unbelievable catch. Denied the Patriots of their perfect season. Yeah. And uh, poor guy eventually lost his mind, it seems like. All right. This is one we kind of overlapped, and you missed one little detail about it. And it was after the half, but before the Giants got the ball first, and Dwayne Starks intercepted a Kerry Collins pass, returned it for a touchdown. Oh, right. There were three straight scoring. Right. Ron Dixon returned the ensuing kickoff 97 yards for a touchdown. Made it 17-7. You think you got a game. Then, as Don said, Jermaine Lewis returned the Giants kickoff 84 yards. Three plays, three touchdowns. Ravens never looked back. That was Super Bowl 35. Uh, The uh, Ravens won 34-7. One of the greatest defenses of of all time came to the Super Bowl and didn't allow a point. Yeah. And... uh, I actually watched the Super Bowl at Damon's in Erie, Pennsylvania. I was at Fredonia. No, I, didn't, I might not have even been at Fredonia at the time, but uh, a friend of mine from Pittsburgh who we've mentioned on the show a few times, we actually met halfway in Erie and watched the Super Bowl together. And I think we basically just sat and talked about anything but that Super Bowl. <laughs> because other than those three quick plays, it was it terrible. was terrible. My number two, you kind of touched on, but Santonio Holmes' touch at the back of the end zone uh, to beat Arizona. Again, it wasn't a great Super Bowl for most of the time, but at the end it was kind of a wild finish, and that play capped it off. One of the best catches, one of the best toe drags you'll basically ever see. All right, my number two, 
it's just a sore subject around here, and Don mentioned it. I'm not going to get too far into it, but it's it's wide, right? All right, Don, you're number one first, and I got your highlight right here. You want to set it up or just want me to play it? No, just play it. <laughs> you got Dick Vermeil in there. Yep. He's an excitable fella. He's going to cry uh, any second. Yeah, my number one, you touched on it earlier, Kevin Dyson catching right before that play, a big clutch, like 30 or so yard play down to the 10. Then in the next play, he gets another reception and tackled. And maybe what was the most clutch play in maybe all of football history, Mike Jones one-on-one with a receiver, uh, tackles him at the one-yard one yard line to end the game. and started Kurt Warner's legacy. I think you're a fool. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I know where you're going. <laughs> this is my number one right here. Anyone who's ever listened to this show, the drama's probably pretty minimal. At the New Orleans 31, down south. I'm going to say this. Two weeks ago, the Jets, you kept blitzing. It cost you. If I was the New Orleans Saints, I would not blitz him. I would put the extra guys in coverage. I want to say a couple things about that. First, that is one loud crowd reaction to a play for a Super Bowl. It's yeah. pretty underrated because, you know, the Super Bowls are usually pretty corporate. Corporate. Yeah. There's not a lot of team support either way. It's split. That That's a huge reaction. Second thing, little back background. I mentioned I, I missed Super Bowl 38, I think I said, because I was really sick. And unfortunately... Some of that lingered, and a couple of weeks before, actually, so the Saints beat the Cardinals, the Vikings, and the Colts to win the Super Bowl. Kurt Warner, Brett Favre, and Peyton Manning, by the way. Yeah, not bad. And right before that Cardinals game, I had surgery, and I was still not close to being healed by the time the Saints made their run in the playoffs, and I think... And you can attest to this. You were there. Right. I think I did a pretty good job being pretty mellow for the most part during <laughs> the game. Why don't you, Don, try to uh, just put in perspective my reaction to that Tracy Porter pick? I think you jumped into Greg. Yeah, your brother's arms, and you were yelling and screaming and stuff like that. I think the funnier part was uh, that was an understandable reaction, but right after that, and this must be – I imagine Bills fans feel the same way. I haven't been a Saints fan, so I can't attest to it. But almost immediately after that, you're like, i got to come down. I've seen him blow bigger leads than this before. (laughs) (laughs) So that'll always stick out to me. But, yeah, you were pretty pumped. Uh, Lucky you didn't bust a stitch or anything. Yeah, real uh, lucky. uh, Yeah, you were jumping around after that. And, you know, the funniest thing about it is just that or the the luckiest thing about us to have your team win a Super Bowl is great, but to have a moment like that makes it just a million times better. You know, like if I think about Forty ers fans watching their team demolish the Broncos, like the fifty five ten game that we mentioned, that's great, and you know, right. But I don't know. 
this is better. I, I think so. In my opinion. All right. There's the sportscaster stand for today. We're going to take a break and come back with Carrie J. Byrne. Our next guest is from Quincy, Massachusetts. He is a graduate of Boston College and has created the revolutionary cold hard football facts concept and is the nation's foremost authority on the grid iron lifestyle of beer, food, and football. He's making his fourth appearance on the podcast. A warm sportscaster's welcome to the very great Carrie J. Byrne. How are you doing today, Carrie? Steve, I'm doing very good. I appreciate the Boston College fight song intro as always. And by the way, particularly relevant this Super Bowl because my senior at Boston College, who was in his first year as a head coach, but none other than Tom, Tom Coughlin, Coughlin. Oh, yeah. who did uh, quite a great job with what was a bad Boston College program in the wake of the Doug Flutie era, and really reinvigorated that program, and then of course went on to you know bigger and better things now in the pros. And of course, uh, the Giants uh, have Mark Herzlich on the team, right? The uh, linebacker with the great yeah, who had cancer, cancer story, and quite, right. a, quite a survivor story, and uh, a lot of a lot of connections there. And of course, uh, uh, another New Englander, Zach Diossi, the long snapper, is not a is, is a Brown guy. Went to he's from here in New England, not far from Boston. But uh, his dad uh, is a Boston College guy, Steve Diossi, who was a big schoolboy star. Uh, in Boston before going to Boston College, and then the Giants. Uh, he won two Super Bowls with the Giants under Bill Parcells. So, uh, and he is—he's a—he's a, uh, you know, still well-known figure in Boston. The father, Steve Diossi, and he, he, of course, is very much picking the Giants to win as he should with his son playing on the team. But he uh, engenders the wrath of a lot of fans in the Boston area for that reason. So last time you were on, we actually made a bet, and you won. My brother, who's a D1 college hockey player at. Yale played your Boston College Eagles, and I gotta tell you, Yale had that game in the bag. They led the game all day, one nothing, and Boston College scored two goals in the last two minutes, one two to one. So if we meet up at the Super Bowl, I'm gonna have to bring you some beef on whack. Oh, you know what? <laughs> if that's my victory prize, I want you to pay up because I am uh, one of the world's greatest beef on whack fans, and. Not only that, one of the things we do at Cold Hard Football Facts, besides all the uh, you know the football and stat analysis, is I'm also a longtime food writer and beer right. writer, and used to travel the world visiting breweries and things like that. But uh, uh, we have a uh, we have a great recipe for beef on weck on ColdHardFootballFacts.com, uh, but it's not from Buffalo. So I wanna I want I've had the real thing in Buffalo, but I if you bring something out, you'll be uh, uh, you'll be a good man for paying off your debt, but also I'll. You'll have a lifelong friend in this Beef on Weck fan. <laughs> well, I think our original bet was, you know, it was Beef on Weck versus Chowder. And I remember thinking as the game was going on, if I win this, how is this guy going to send me Chowder? <laughs> you know, I, I figured you'd probably, you know, send me a can of Chunky Chowder or something, you know. <laughs> <laughs> believe it or not, I believe Legal Seafoods, which is a big, uh, yeah, you yeah. know, Boston-based seafood chain, but they have restaurants, uh, you know, in certain parts of the country. I think they ship their Chowder. So we could have we could have worked out something for you. And by the way, you, I don't know if people I know you you know you're in Western New York and uh, this is a big New England thing. We all know New England chowder, right? Is white, right? And Manhattan clam chowder red. is red, right? Which you would never ever ever find Manhattan clam chowder in New England. <laughs> but Rhode Island has its own clam chowder with clear broth. 
Really? It's kind of like the, the forgotten sister of the chowder world, but Rhode Island is its own little culture. It's only 35 minutes from Boston, but has its own clear broth chowder that you don't find in Boston. So it's quite a world of chowder out there, Steve. You would have had your picks. I'll be damned. Well, let's get into it here. <laughs> um, the Giants and the Patriots, not exactly statistically the defensive teams that you'd expect to be in the Super Bowl, huh? No, not exactly. And in fact, if the Giants win the Super Bowl, they'll have done it with the the worst defense in terms of points allowed in, in NFL history. Wow. They get people think they're a great defense, but people forget they gave up fifty two points more, fifty eight points more than the Patriots this year. They gave up four hundred points, and I believe the only team to reach the Super Bowl giving up more points than that were the two thousand eight Cardinals, also a a nine and seven team, by the way, and the Patriots for all their problems, uh Gave up, you know, 342 points, so quite a, uh, quite a bit better during the regular season. Of course, we all know uh, the Giants have got healthier. they got a lot of players back. They're definitely playing better. And uh, it'll be interesting to see because, Steve, the, the, the real fascinating storyline and the inexplicable, the statistically inexplicable storyline is how the Giants twice now have taken very average Teams and in some cases the Giants were a bad team at many points during the season. There's a team that lost twice to the Redskins. How they were able to turn it on at the end of the year, like they did in 2007 to reach the Super Bowl, is literally unprecedented. I know people say they're healthier, they're better, they're talented, but there's been a lot of teams that got healthier, a lot of talented teams that maybe didn't play well on the field. Nobody's ever done what they've done what they did in 2007, and they've replicated that feat again. With right now, what is the worst statistically the worst team? ever to reach a Super Bowl. So, you know, from that vantage point, it's kind of fascinating to watch it to watch it all unfold. Is there any statistical indication that would have given you at the start of the playoffs a hint that maybe the Giants could get through what was a pretty good NFC? I mean, in my opinion, if you replayed the NFC playoffs, I don't know, 20 times, probably anyone but I think Atlanta would make it to the Super Bowl at least once. No, I agree. I mean, it, it was quite a, you know, Atlanta was a bad team with uh, struggles at quarterback, talking Boston College. You know, Matt Ryan, a Boston College guy, was, I mean, he struggled. He took a step back this year, just like his fellow fourth-year man, Joe Flacco, did in a, in a lot of ways. Uh, so you're right, it, it could have been, things could have gone a lot differently, but they didn't go differently. The Giants, you know, are the team, and they've, they've won, you know, the 49ers win was not convincing. I mean, let's face it, like the Patriots, both these teams, Got a lot of lucky breaks. You right. know, you make your own luck in pro football, but they did get lucky breaks. Both teams reached the Super Bowl, and the Giants in the form of the two Kyle Williams fumbles. But, uh, you know, looking at all this, I, I, there's really nothing that would have indicated that this team is really has what it takes to win Super Bowls. But, again, you could have said the same thing about the 2007 Giants. And, you know, we run all these quality stats, Steve, and these are all stats that have a direct correlation to winning football games. And, we don't say they have a direct correlation. We, we tell you what that correlation is. We tell you how often stats predict winners and how often stats correlate to victory. And, and some of our stats work like magic. They, they work year after year. Like, for example, passer rating differential, which we call the mother of all stats. 90% of all NFL champions were in the top five in that indicator. Very few teams go against the trend. And the Giants now twice in four years have gone against almost every statistical trend. It really is unusual. So, you know, the numbers aren't perfect, but they do, you know, they do lead you right more often than not. In that case, you know, with all that said, it comes down to it's a quarterback's league, and all year the one saving grace the Giants had was Eli Manning pulled, you know, rabbits out of his hat game after game, week after week, I think seven game-winning drives, 
seven fourth quarter comebacks this year, the most in franchise history, among the most in a single season. And he was the saving grace all year, and the reason he got to this point, and now all the pieces seem to be coming together. So when we talk about that mother of all stats, as you do each time you join us, where did, where did the Giants fall there? They finished number 12 this year. 12. Okay. Uh, which is, you know, what you'd expect for a number for a 9-7 and team with the, you know, who was on the edge of making the playoffs, really. You know, they lose, you know, a game at the end of the year, they don't make the playoffs. Uh, so that 12th ranking is pretty solid, and, and, you know, based on who they were during the regular season. The Patriots were fourth, by the way, in passer rating differential. Uh, and, by the way, the worst team ever to win a championship in that number, only one team has been outside the top ten. And that was the 2007 Giants. They were 24th mm, in pass wow. rating differential. They really, there's no explanation for what they did, but except for the fact that Coughlin, Tom Coughlin had some sort of, you know, something he turns on at the end of the year with this team and that he's done throughout his career going back to his college days and his days with Jacksonville. Uh, you know, so, they, you know, 12 this year, they, they should not, by all historic purposes, teams ranked number 12 in this indicator, do not reach the Super Bowl, but again, they, they've been better lately. Their defense has been better, and that number, of course, has been better in the postseason. You don't win games if that number – you don't consistently win games if you're not winning the passer rating battle week after week. You know, one thing that uh, people – it's real easy to, to say and talk about, and I wonder what your numbers say, but, you know, you always hear the talking heads talking about turnovers and turnover differential, and obviously the Saints really burned themselves with turnovers against the 49ers, letting the 49ers basically get out to a 17-point lead. Um, and the 49ers then in turn let a couple of uh, balls bounce off a leg or – you know, get knocked out of a hand, and maybe that costs them the game. Based on the statistic you study, how important are turnovers? Are they a little overrated by the media, or is that, you know, is that the re- one of those stats that we can really look at and say, okay, you know, turnovers really do, really do affect the outcome of games? Well, we tend to look only at interceptions, and I'll tell you why. Because fumbles tend to be fluky; they tend to change from game to game. They tend there are players who fumble a lot, but there aren't necessarily teams who consistently fumble a lot year in, year out. And, and again, they're flukes. So we tend to look at interceptions because interceptions are a function of, of a lot of things that really materially impact the game. The quality of your quarterback, the quality of your defense, the quality of your schemes, all those factors go into to impact the interception battle. So I can tell you this year, teams who won the interception battle won 151-42. and 42. That's 78% of NFL games, and in the postseason, they were 5-1 and one, uh, going into the conference title game. And I think the Giants and 49ers each had one interception. I, I can't remember. But the Patriots lost the interception battle and right. still won the game. Uh, so those interceptions really are important. You win that battle, you win about 80% of the time. And, and what's a real interesting stat, one of our contributors is a guy named Captain Comeback, uh, uh, Scott Kazmar, a, a great football writer and analyst out of uh, Pittsburgh. And he's, by the way, provided all the comeback and game-winning drive data for us, also for, for uh, ProFootballReference.com. He's really kind of the authority on comebacks and game-winning drives. And he said, in all-time in playoff history, if you lost the turnover battle by two or more and lost the yardage battle by 50 yards or more, you had won once in 111 games. You were 1 and 110. The Patriots are the second of 112 teams to win when they lose the turnover battle by two and the yardage battle by 50 or more. So really... Uh, the rabbit, the Patriots kind of pulled a rabbit out of their hat, and you know, like, and of course, the Giants, like I said, also 
had a lot working for them too in that in that conference title game. Well, we talked a lot about what your numbers have said about the Giants, and you kind of mixed in some Patriots stuff here and there. But let's get into the Patriots a little bit. In the mother of all stats, you mentioned they finished fourth. Is that correct? Yep, in pass rating differential, they finished fourth. Yep. Okay, so thirteen and three. We know they had a great record, but there were so many questions about the Patriots going into the playoffs. One thing was, you know, they gave up a lot of yards, and you've been on the show many times and said, "Don't worry about yards." And uh, you know, I keep. I think about you all the time when I hear analysts on ESPN and NFL Network and everywhere else saying, oh, they give up so many passing yards and this and that. But we watched the 2009 Saints win the Super Bowl. They gave up plenty of passing yards. doesn't matter, right? So uh, were, the, were the Patriots a more easy, an easier team to project as a potential Super Bowl uh, contender? Yeah, I mean, they were, you know, they were our preseason pick to, to, to win the AFC. We actually had them. Losing to the Packers in the Super Bowl, so the you know the NFC didn't quite work out as well for us. But the thing about the Patriots, two two things. Uh, yeah, they gave up you know the second most passing yards in history. But you know who gave up the most? The 2011 Packers. And these teams went to combine 28 and four in the regular season. So so those yards weren't all that important. And by the way, forgotten uh, the Patriots were 31st in passing yards allowed. The Giants were 29th, by the way. The Giants. The Giants, the Saints, the Patriots, and the Packers were your four worst teams in yards allowed. Two of those teams are in passing yards allowed. Two of those teams are in the Super Bowl. So that just reconfirms that those yards are not important. But what is important, we talked about turnovers, for example, right? Those turnovers are critical. So we don't look at yards allowed or even passing yards allowed. We look at defensive passer rating. And by the way, the Patriots and the, and the Giants were statistical, statistically dead even. The Giants an 86.10 defensive passer rating. The Patriots an 86.11 defensive passer rating, one one hundredth of a point difference in defensive passer rating between these two teams. The Patriots 23 interceptions, the second most in the league, so they give up a lot of yards. But only the Packers forced you know more interceptions. The Giants, by the way, 20 interceptions, also among the most in the league. I think they were tied for uh, fifth or sixth in in interceptions. So those turnovers are critical, and, and you can give up all those yards, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter as much if you're forcing all those turnovers. And these two teams, both in the Super Bowl, were both very good at that in the regular season and have, you know, kept kept it up in the in the playoffs. And the other thing, Steve, we don't the, the other reason we don't look at yards allowed, mainly because it doesn't correlate to victory, we look at something we call bendability, it's our measure of defensive efficiency. Uh, it's our effort to quantify the bend but don't break phenomenon. And who is number two in that indicator this year? The New England Patriots. They gave up a lot of yards, but they were very, very tough to score points on at the end of the day. They, teams produced a lot of empty yards against them all season, and that bendability indicator is critical because year after year, great teams in the Super Bowl are greater than indicator, including, by the way, number one last year, the Super Bowl champion Green Bay Packers was the most bendable defense in football, if you will. The Patriots were number two this year, and by the way, San Francisco was number one, and then, of course, they, you know, they basically gave that game away. But, uh, you know, you have, you have that efficient defense. That's more important than those yards allowed. And can I just cite one example, by the way? Sure. The Patriots gave up 6,600 yards rounding off this year. The Buccaneers gave up 6,300. The Buccaneers basically gave up 200, 300 yards fewer than the Patriots and gave up 152 more points. <laughs> wow. That's where it matters. It's not the yards. It's what are people doing with those. Tampa Bay gave up fewer yards and, and you know, 50% more points, almost 50% more points. So it really... 
you know, not to beat a you know you know beat a dead horse here, but those yards are really overvalued by people. They shouldn't even talk about them on TV. The analyst, knowledgeable analyst, should not even not even worth the time they talk about them to to put up a graphic on TV or or talk about them on on radio or whatever. I wanted to ask you a little bit about Tom Brady. You know, he had obviously the second greatest passing season of basically of all time. You know, in terms of yards, just behind Drew Brees' season this year. Uh, what when you studied Tom Brady as a player, how where does this year stack up compared to some of the other great seasons he's had, like the season when he broke the uh, touchdown record that Peyton Manning had previously held? Well, you know, it might have been his best year in a lot of ways uh, to play. You know, to play with that defense that always, you know, he had to score a lot of points to to score. You know, to score to win thirteen games with with a defense that gave up all those yards is is quite a you know quite a feat. And his passer rating hundred five point six is still really good. His yards per attempt eight point six, the best of his career. He was more effective getting the ball downfield this year than he had ever been in his career. That yard per attempt figure a huge one because it correlates highly to victory. Those total yards do not, the yards per attempt do. Uh, you know, 5,200 yards, 39 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. These are all, you know, career, seed, career numbers for almost any quarterback in the history of football. And in his case, may only be his, his third best season. Uh, you know, I, I, like I said, you could argue that it, that it was his best in, in many ways. And I just think he, you know, continued. There's a reason... There's a reason he's won more often than any player since Otto Graham. He wins because he's always, or almost always, the best quarterback on the field. He wasn't Sunday against Joe Flacco, by the way. The Patriots stole a game there. Uh, Joe Flacco had the better day, but you don't win consistently in the NFL without consistently great player quarterback. And the reason why he owns every winning streak record in the history of football, you know, from regular season, postseason, combined, however you want to look at it, he wins and wins and wins like nobody we've ever seen, and the reason why is because he consistently outplays the other quarterback. And this year he did it with the with the bad defense around him in a lot of ways. So uh, you know, like I said, you could argue that this was his his best season, but I think the problem with Brady is those performances. You know, let's let's be honest here, have not been there in the playoffs in recent years. And I think he has a little something to to prove to himself, and maybe you know, prove to history because you know he's on the cusp of being considered the greatest quarterback of all time. And I think a lights-out performance, the kind we haven't seen out of him too often in the playoffs recently, would go a long way toward helping uh, helping him achieve that status. You know, one story that we've been following quite a bit here on the Sportscasters as the season went on has kind of been the, the emergence of the dominant tight end, and it really stuck out in the playoffs this year. You know, with Gronkowski having the great game that he did two weeks ago, and Vernon Davis had just an off-the-charts postseason. Uh, Jimmy Graham looked like he was going to catch up long game-winning uh, touchdown before Vernon Davis stole it from him. And, you know, the tight end has just been such a huge part of the of the NFL this year. What about cold, hard football facts? W- what have you found out about tight ends that maybe makes this year such a breakout year for them? Well, you know, what we're looking at right now, we did, and is, is, is this part of a trend? I mean, is it, is it, is it, are we seeing the start of a trend, or are we just seeing kind of a a blip on the radar screen in terms of, uh, uh, you know, just in terms of history. Maybe it just, you know, just so happens that, you know, Rob Gronkowski happens to be a physical freak who ended up with a great quarterback, and, and Jimmy Graham turns out to be kind of a similar player with all these freakish skills who, oh, by the way, also happens to be paired with a, with a great quarterback. My instinct is that we, we kind of seen an anomaly 
that it's not necessarily part of a trend. Now, you know, who knows, the next couple of years will, could prove us wrong. But I think it's more a matter of, you know, great gr- receivers do not make great quarterbacks. Great quarterbacks make great receivers and make great productive tight ends. And in this case, you know, Tom Brady, whoever they put around him, sets records. You know, I mean, whether it's Randy Moss or Wes Welker or, or Rob Gronkowski or Dion Branch, who did nothing with other teams or with Seattle and, and has played pretty well, a Super Bowl MVP with Tom Brady. I think it has more to do with the quarterbacks they appeared with, quite honestly, than than with anything else. Uh, would Gronkowski be a, a freakish, you know, specimen playing in playing in St. Louis? Yes, but would he would he score 17 touchdowns paired with, with, with Sam Bradford or whoever they trot out a quarterback that week? No, absolutely not. He probably wouldn't score seven touchdowns. I do think it, it, at the end of the day it's all about the quarterback making the receiver. Uh, and tight ends just happen to, just, you know, it just happens to be a year where we saw incredible records. I mean, you know, Gronkowski and Jimmy Graham, the two most receiving yards ever by, by, by tight ends in the history of football. But, again, those came in years when we saw the most passing yards, period, in the history of football. So how much of that is the tight end creating this new kind of play, or how much is it the tight ends just being beneficiaries of, of rules that, you know, open up the passing game? And right now I'm reading the tight ends are just, you know, the beneficiaries. The Sportscasters are here with Kerry J. Byrne from ColdHeartFootballFacts.com. You can find him on Twitter at FootballFacts. They also do some work for Sports Illustrated at SportsIllustrated.com. Um. Anyone who listens to this interview, I don't think anyone's going to make a mistake and think that you're from Texas or Florida or anything like that. You're clearly <laughs> Yeah, you're clearly from the New England area. So, my guess is, you know, you you're probably a bit of a Patriots fan, maybe maybe not, I don't know, but what is this this Super Bowl experience going to be from you? you? You know, we mentioned off the air you're heading down there. You go in as a fan, you go in as a professional, you go in as a combination of both. What are your Super Bowl plans? How are you going to how are you going to experience this? Well, first of all, I'm a fan only of the cold, hard football facts and our numbers, and I, I don't care who wins or loses. I care if my numbers are being right, my numbers are right, because our business is proving that our data is correct and that our stats, uh, you know, pick winners, and we have an incredible track record picking games straight up, picking games against the spread. Uh, by the way, 29 and 12 against the spread over the last five weeks. Great playoffs. NFL action, seven and three in the playoffs yep. all against the spread. 85 games over 500 against the spread the last three years. So I'm interested not in any team i'm interested in proving and finding what numbers win and lose games and then presenting that data to to football fans so uh with that said being in being in boston obviously there's a lot of excitement in this part of the country and i this is my third super bowl we're driving out from boston we're doing an incredible uh an incredible super bowl road trip stopping at all kinds of historic football locations along the way by the way starting at the site of the very first football game which which was played in the very first football team uh, in the game. The first game was played right here in Boston Common in downtown Boston. Uh, and you know the sport of football began as something called the Boston Game, which evolved. It was adopted by the Ivy League schools, Harvard and Yale and and Princeton and Rutgers and so on. And and they took the Boston Game and it evolved into you know the sport of football that we know. And of course, the Ivy League schools dominated the early days. So we're going to start the site of the first football game, which has a memorial to it on Boston Common and visit some great, iconic locations along the way. The, the home of the 1925 NFL champion Pottsville Maroons in Pennsylvania, the Pro Football Hall of Fame. We're going to visit uh, the famous Massillon High in Paul Brown Stadium. This is where Paul Brown, the legendary coach, played high school football. And uh, where he first coached, by the way, before 
founding the you know the Cleveland Browns and the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, a lot of history, a lot of food, a lot of cool tailgating, and got to end up in, in in Indianapolis and rock the Super Bowl like we have the, the last couple of years. Well, I'm sure you made a mistake in in not mentioning that you're going to be stopping in Buffalo at the at the world class Ralph Wilson Stadium, right? I mean, that's <laughs> a sight. Unfortunately, it's not on the itinerary this week. Oh. My secretary must have screwed up. Steve. Yeah, that must be I a don't know what mistake happened. or an oversight. That. Yeah. Hmm, that's really you know, strange. it'd be it'd be it'd be nice to. Uh, I've been out, you know, I love I love it out there because I've been out there a couple times because you got to admit Buffalo fans are passionate about their Bills. I just wish they had something better to be passionate about at this point. It's been been you know a tough couple decades, if you will. Yeah. Oh, you're saying that missing the playoffs for 12 straight seasons isn't anything to be passionate about? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it takes something to be passionate when you team. You know, and I they, I think there's a lot of hardcore football fans out there that. I wish I wish Buffalo fans had a better product to, to root for and had something better on the field. And you know, the NFL, Steve, it all comes down to uh, the well-managed teams. It starts at the top of the teams that win consistently. And I think you have to say that you know Buffalo, unfortunately, has not been one of the the better managed teams, top to bottom, over the last uh, you know last fifteen years or so. All right, so let's throw out a hypothetical. Let's say that in a shocking decision, uh, Commissioner uh, Goodell decides that instead of playing the game. They're going to let cold hard football facts declare the winner based on their statistical analysis. What would you? What would the outcome be? Well, it would probably be. Well, let me tell you what. Let me let me give you a little background first. We track something called predictive rate of victory. Okay, we tell you how often each stat predicts winners, and it's pretty remarkable. It's real valuable information. If you're a football fan who wants to know who's going to win and lose games, this information is really incredible. The number one stat in football, predicting winners and losers, is something called the relativity index. We measure how each team performs relative to the quality of all its opponents. So if you average 15 points per game and your opponents, on average, give up 10 points per game, you're plus five on offense. We do the same thing on defense, and we spit out a number. This indicator predicts the winner all by itself in 67.5% of all NFL games. It's really a remarkable indicator. Uh, Right now, that the Patriots were the better team in that indicator. They were number three, the third-best team in football relative to the quality of their opposition. I know they played a very weak schedule, a very weak schedule, an embarrassingly weak schedule. But given that, they still outperformed those opponents relative to, the, to their average game. Uh, the Giants, by the way, were 12th in this indicator as well. We talked about them being 12th in the mother of all stats. And we're also 12th in the relativity index. Again, it confirms kind of what their record was and where they were. And, you know, given that, and given New England's superiority in a number of different indicators, I think you have to say the Patriots will have enough to pull out a narrow win, but they never make it look easy. And I think it's going to come down to two quarterbacks each trying to make big plays at the end. And I can see a, you know, a 28-27 Patriots victory right now. All right. The Sportscasters, uh, another great appearance from Kerry J. Byrne of ColdHardFootballFacts.com, at FootballFacts on Twitter. They do some stuff on SI.com. Why don't you just, uh, before we let you go, what what can we expect from the site as we get ready for the Super Bowl here? What, are you guys going to be doing any special features? Um, yeah, we're doing my whole statistical tour, Kerry's uh, statistical tour of the Super Bowl, looking at the game from all different statistical perspectives. And by the way, Steve, and you know because you read the site, we have fun too. We, we, we make it entertaining. It's not just boring stats. We entertain. We, we do a lot of cool stuff. So it's going to be kind of a real great hardcore but entertaining statistical breakdown from every angle of the Super Bowl, with, from me, from our great contributors. And we're also doing my Road to the Super Bowl video tour 
road trip blog with all those great sites I talked about. We'll have those videos up and running on the site. And uh, we're going to have a lot of fun, man. We're going to kick it. We're going to rock Indy harder than anybody else out there. And, and we're going to give what I believe is the best Super Bowl analysis of any site, any outlet, any newspaper in the country. Sounds good. What about stats on the Pro Bowl? <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what's tough is, is I had an NFL network on today, and they were doing replaying 2005 Pro Bowl skills competition highlights. Ooh. You know it's a long time between the title <laughs> games and the Super Bowl when they're replaying seven-year-old uh, Pro Bowl you know, uh, skills competition highlights. I used oh, to love yeah. that quarterback challenge they used to do with the golf carts that they had to throw at the targets. That was great. <laughs> even I, I'm a, I'm a football junkie as much as anybody. Even I have my threshold, and I think I think that's that that competition is it. <laughs> well, enjoy your trip. Have a great uh, Super Bowl. Um, hopefully, like you said, you'll be rooting for your stats. I hope they win. And uh, let's get let's touch base after, and let's find out how the trip went. All right. Hopefully, uh, you guys get a chance to get out there, and we can see you out there too. Have a, have a good night. All guys. right. Thanks, Gary. Easy. Thank you. All right, even uh, during Super Bowl week, we got to take a second to uh, just update our book club. For one, because the author has just been so great to us that I want to make sure he gets as much out of this experience as possible. Went to the mailbox the other day and was delighted to find a copy of the book from the author. Personal autograph, so we won't be giving this one away. This one's going to stay in my collection for a long time. But in case you missed the announcement last week, the book of the month this month is Last Great Game, Duke versus Kentucky in the 2.1 Seconds to Change Basketball. That book is uh, authored by Gene Wojciechowski from ESPN. You can find him at Gino ESPN on Twitter. I'm about, oh, four chapters in, really enjoying it so far. Learning a lot. The first chapter was basically just about Coach K and how he became to be the Duke basketball coach. Second chapter was about Rick Pitino and how he became the Kentucky coach. And then the third chapter was uh, about Christian Leitner. And I really enjoyed that because a lot of the stuff in there, I knew about the places and the things that he was talking about because Christian Leitner grew up not too far from where we're located here in Buffalo, New York. But again, I want to encourage you to read with us the last game, Duke versus Kentucky in the 2.1 seconds to change basketball by Gene Wojcikowski. And We'll talk more about this when we have time next week, but we're going to take another break and come back and get the Patriots' perspective of things with Christopher Price from WEEI in Boston. Our next guest is from Massachusetts and is a graduate of Northeastern College. He has covered the Boston sports scene for over a dozen years for websites, magazines, and newspapers. He has spent time reporting for ESPN.com, SI.com, The Washington Post, The Boston Globe, and many others. He is an award-winning journalist, having been honored by Northeastern University, the New England Press Association, and the North Carolina Press Association. He is also an author, having published three books, including The Blueprint, How the New England Patriots Beat the System to Create the Last Great NFL Superpower. Today, he still writes about the Patriots and works the Patriots beat for WEEI in Boston. Warm sportscasters, welcome to the very talented Christopher Price. How are you doing today, Chris? Not bad. How are you doing? 
Doing very good. Thank you for squeezing us in. I know everyone's really busy with it being Super Bowl week. And I guess right off the top, I just want to ask you, you know, what does it feel to be back there with the Patriots? It's been a couple of years. You know, the Patriots are a team that since everything got going here in 2001, they're always in the conversation at the beginning of the season. What do you think it was about this team that maybe was able to get to the Super Bowl that prevented the last couple of years from it happening since that last Giants game? Well, I think there were a couple of things at play. I think first and foremost, when you look at the rest of the AFC, it was a relatively down year for the conference. You know, you look at traditional powerhouses like the Jets and the Colts. They kind of peeled away early. You know, teams like the Steelers are a little bit banged up. And, and there are teams like the Titans and the Texans who were, you know, young and talented and up and coming but not quite ready for prime time. And I think the Patriots took advantage of the vacuum. I've maintained all along that they are – the least flawed team in a wildly flawed conference, and this year it was good enough to get them to the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, uh, I think the other thing that you know you have to keep in mind is when you have Tom Brady under center, it peepers over a lot of deficiencies. And I think Brady had one of probably the three or four best seasons of his career. He threw for over you know 5,000 yards. He would have broken Dan Marino's record if it wasn't for for Drew Brees. And you know, the emergence of those two young tight ends, Hernandez and Gronkowski certainly made it a lot easier on the offensive side of the ball. So whatever problems they had on defense, uh, you know, they've been kind of mollified a little bit by, by what they've been able to do offensively. I've been a, a staunch believer for uh, an awful long time, for you know this year anyway, that uh, the Patriots' best defense is a very good offense. They don't put their defense in bad situations. They get good play from their special teams. And in the end, it's more than enough to, you know, bring them here to the Super Bowl. You mentioned uh, Gronkowski, and I wanted to ask you about him. He's from right down the street from where we are sitting right now. Um, so he's definitely been a big story as far as the Super Bowl is being covered here in Buffalo, New York. And, you know, he had maybe arguably the best season that a tight end has ever had, obviously in terms of yards and all the touchdowns that he scored. Um, what is it about the Patriots' offense? I mean, he wasn't the best player in the history of – college or anything like that what is it about this offense that allows the tight end to gain as many yards and score as many touchdowns as Gronkowski was able to do and and of course Hernandez having an impact as well first and foremost you look at Gronkowski and he's got an incredible football IQ he's a very smart kid when it comes to working within the context of an offense and so it took him you know little to no time to pick up on some of the subtle nuances of, of what the Patriots do offensively I think the other aspect of it is Brady. You know, guys talk about all the time that, that Brady is able to put the ball in a certain place that allows you to gain lots and lots of yards after the catch. And I don't think it's any surprise that both Gronkowski and Wes Welker are in the top five this year when it comes to yards after catch. And the other thing, too, is the Patriots offense has so many weapons. It really does. You know, it's not just Gronkowski. It's not just on his shoulders to, to make the offense go. You know, Brady does a great job as the wheel man. And, you know, when you have guys like Aaron Hernandez, who you can kind of move all over the board, like a you know, move all over the field like a chess piece. You know, you have a, a a classic slot receiver like Wes Welker, who was one of the best wide receivers in the game this year. You know, you have a steady, consistent running game with uh with Ben Jarvis, Green Ellis, and another couple of guys back there. It makes things awful easy for you know for 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 a guy like Gronkowski to succeed because he's not asked to be the number one guy. It'd be very different, say, if he was in let's say Carolina or Arizona or Detroit or somewhere like that, where if he was asked to be the number one receiver, you know, expectations might be different. But I, I think because he is here in New England and, you know, he is, uh, they have multiple options, I think it makes it a little bit easier on him. 
you know, both teams are relatively healthy, but there has been a little bit of concern with surrounding Gronkowski and his ankle. How concerned are you about it in terms of for the Patriots, or do you do you think it's maybe just because it's the only thing to focus on where you know, focusing so much on it. No, I, I think he's going to be a little bit hobbled. Uh, I, I think, you know, that being said, I think Gronkowski, one of the things we know about him over the course of his career, he's had a pretty good, he's a, had a pretty good pain threshold. And he's a guy who can, you know, take a good licking and, and, and come back for more. You know, he's a guy who can take a, take a serious amount of pain. And we haven't seen him on the injury report over the course of his career. But, you know, that doesn't mean that he's not the kind of guy who isn't banged up. I think everyone's banged up at this time of year. I think you're going to see a guy probably at 60 to 75%. That being said, Robert Gronkowski at 60 to 75% is better than most guys at 100%. So I think he's going to be out there. I think he's going to play. Even as a red herring, I think he's got value on the field because he demands attention wherever he is. So I think he's going to play. When you think about uh, the game itself and you think about the Patriots playing the Giants, uh, we did see a, a little bit of the, we did see them play earlier in the season. How do you think the Patriots specifically match up against the Giants, and where do you think their strengths can take advantage of some of the Giants' weaknesses? I think one of the things that really stands out for me was the first time these two teams played. The Giants ran at least five defensive backs out on the field on every single play. They looked to get pressure on Brady with either three or four guys up the middle, and they got good, consistent pressure on Brady uh, you know, for, for, for an extended period of time. But the Giants are really, really good at rushing the passer, and they are average at defending the run. And I think a guy like Ben Jarvis Green-Ellis, who has played very well as of late, uh, a steady, consistent presence back there in that backfield, I think he could have a big role on Sunday. He's a guy who can you know, put together four and five yards at a clip. Uh, he's a guy you can depend on, a guy who doesn't fumble the football, a guy who's not going to complain when he doesn't get enough touches. So, I mean, he really, in a lot of ways, is Bill Belichick's dream running back, and I think he is the guy who really has a chance to play a big role, kind of an unheralded guy who has a chance to play a big role come Sunday. You know, there's some real easy storylines that we could jump on and talk about, things like Eli and, and uh, Brady playing against each other. But as someone who follows the Patriots, I'm just wondering, are there some other kind of unknown storylines that you're interested in following as the week goes on? Well, really, the thing that stands out for me, like I said, first and foremost, is, is Ben Jarvis Green-Ellis against the Giants' run defense. Again, I, like I said, I think that, that the Patriots are going to have some opportunities to run the football. And I think, you know, if they commit to the run, I think they're going to have success against it. And I also want to see how they utilize Devin McCourty. Uh, specifically whether or not he plays safety, whether he plays cornerback, what the breakdown along those lines is like. Um, I think that's a fascinating matchup. And I also want to see how the Patriots go about defending Victor Cruz. Uh, you know, the, the dynamic in that passing game is far different than what it was when the first the first time these two teams met because Hakeem Nix didn't play in that first game. And so it's a little bit of a different look. You know, they, they relied on Cruz, but, you know, when you have that three-receiver set, meaning him who's come on very well as of late, Victor Cruz, we all know what he can do in Hakeem Nix. It makes for a really difficult uh, combination to defend. And so I want to see how the Patriots go about trying to defending that group and, and whether or not Devin McCourty sees more time at deep safety, as has been the case over the last couple of weeks, or if he has uh, switched to his more traditional spot at quarterback. So really, those are three things that stand out for me when it comes to storylines, when it comes to matchups this Sunday. Are we going to see Edelman on the field on defense, do you think, again this week? I think we'll see him on the field for a handful of snaps. I don't think he's going to be out there for an extended period of time. If I had to guess, my gut feeling is probably no more than 10 snaps, but I think he'll be out there in a limited role on defense. Okay, the sportscasters are here with Christopher Price. You can follow on 
Twitter at Cape Leaguer. And also, you can listen to him on WEEI. And uh, the last thing, we'll get you out of here on this, um, is obviously you've seen more of the Patriots than the Giants, but what do you what do you expect to happen this weekend? Who do you think will win? And if your prediction comes true, why did it come true? I think the Patriots win this thing. I, I think in the long run, I think the Giants have an awful lot of offensive weapons, but I don't think they'll be able to match up touchdown for touchdown with the Patriots offense. I think the Patriots end up winning this thing. I'm going to say 27, 21, or 24. I think it's going to be a great game. Look, you know, the one thing we know about these two teams is they play compelling Super Bowls, and I don't think this is going to be an exception. I think the Patriots and the Giants are two very evenly matched teams, two very talented teams. I think it's going to be a very good Super Bowl, but I think the Patriots have just a little bit more on the offensive side of the ball when it comes to breaking this thing down. So I'm going to go with a New England victory probably by, let's say, four points, uh, 27-23. All right, Mr. Price, thank you very much. And uh, just one last thing, you know, you really you did a great you did a really nice thing to fit us in here. And just as to keep with the Boston theme, we'd like to dedicate to you the song "Angel" by Aerosmith because that's how we feel about you. You're our angel for fitting us in on a really busy day. And I just want to thank you very much. And uh, hopefully, uh, another time down the road when there's a little more time, maybe we can talk a little bit more. Definitely sounds great. Take care. All right, thanks, buddy. All right, we should really thank all our guests today. I want to thank Kerry J. Byrne from ColdHeartFootballFacts.com. I also want to thank Chris Burke from Sports Illustrated, SportsIllustrated.com. I want to thank Christopher Price from WEEI in Boston, who really helped us out, giving us some time on the Patriots today. Last piece of business for the week today is uh, Pick 4. A little bit different Super Bowl edition of Pick 4. we got a couple different categories today. And basically what we're going to do is we're going to count the first two like we normally do, win or loss. The second two are going to be bonus points only. Uh, to recap last week, we both went 2-2. Two and two. Uh, We both won the game of the week, which was Ohio State over Michigan. They won that handily, 64-49. to 49. So in a week that was tough to find anything to make the game of the week, that one certainly didn't live up to any kind <laughs> of a hype. Uh, my other win was the Clippers over the Grizzlies. 98 to 91 and Don's other win was the Thunder over the Hornets. I missed very surprisingly the Canadians absolutely rolled the Red Wings 7 to 2. I don't know what happened to the wow. Red Wings that night, but for having the best record basically in the league at the All-Star break, I did not expect that result. I mean, you could expect to lose a game, but for them to get rolled 7 to 2. Yeah, they quit a day early, I guess. Sounds like so. And also I thought that Cam Newton might be the MVP of the Pro Bowl. Actually, he was horrendous in what bad. I saw yeah. of him. And uh, it turned out that Brandon Marshall scored four touchdowns and won that award. Um, unfortunately for Don, Steve Stamkos was not Wasn't on much the winning better. team. No. Uh, he lost, his team lost 12-9. to And Marion Gabrick, not Steve Stamkos, was named the MVP of that game. Which is amazing. Uh, the good money there probably, if I wanted to really pick an MVP, would probably have been Alfredson. And he was probably as close as you could be. But... If you had on paper to pick one of those teams, I would have thought Team Alfredson picked a far better team. Yeah. They managed to get both the Sedin twins, too. You know, I think it came down to goaltending, believe it or not. I yeah, think having Tim goalie. Thomas as the anchor there really saved yeah, him. Yeah, who was the last goalie? It was Brian Elliott was the other yeah, one. Yeah, he didn't look great. And it seemed like that, um, seemed like Tim Thomas just 
took it really seriously and <laughs> closed that game out. But whatever. I was betting on a team I didn't even see. So Right. You can't really kick yourself too hard on that. The game of the week this week, no surprise, is the Super Bowl. The Patriots right now, are, or at the time we looked at the odds, were a three-point favorite. I know that's kind of trending in the direction of New York, but we'll put the Pats at minus three. I'm going to take the Pats, and this is one of those things where next week I'm going to say I know I should have taken the Giants because everything seems to be in kind of in the Giants' favor. The Patriots don't stop anybody. Uh they score a lot of points, but the one thing the Giants can do is get to the quarterback, and they kind of had the uh, formula for beating Brady and the Patriots in the last Super Bowl, and it's kind of how they're beating teams again this year. It's how they made Aaron Rodgers look bad. And that said, I've been harping on what a quarterback league it is and how you need the, a great quarterback to win, and the better quarterback in this game is on the Patriots' side. I know he was there last time too, but I just it's hard to bet against Tom Brady in one game. Yeah, you know, we've listened in the podcast today to a lot of other people give their reasons for why they thought one team or the other would win this game. And I'll I'll give you mine real quick. And basically, I just think that the key to being the Patriots is putting Tom Brady on his butt, getting in his face, forcing him to make the mistakes that he usually doesn't make. And I think the Giants are set up perfectly for that. Also, another weakness that the Patriots have is their secondary. It's really easy to pass on them, and they do some really creative things. I give them credit to try to cover up that weakness. Things like putting a wide receiver on the field on defense. But that's not going to work against Hakeem Nicks and Victor Cruz and Mario Manningham. You know, so I just, I like the Giants a little bit more than I like the Patriots this week. Like I said, I found a reason to cheer for somebody and that's the Mark Mark Herzlich thing. So I'm going to take the Giants. I'm going to take the three points. But I'm going to know going into this that really this game could go either way. But I think the key to the game is the Giants knocking Tom Brady on his butt. If they can do that, I think they'll win. So I'm going to bet my money on the fact that they can. second thing we're going to pick this week is the over-under. The over-under is fairly high at 55. And when I heard that, I thought, man, that seems like a high number, even for a Super Bowl, which sometimes can turn into shootouts. That said... One of our guests predicted a 27-24 game, which isn't crazy high or anything. And that's 51 right there. It almost gets you there. You don't need much more than that. And if one team gets a late put-away touchdown, then they're over that. So give me the over. I like Super Bowls to be high-scoring games. I'm going to take the over, too. I don't bet a lot, but there's one thing I'm never going to bet on, and that's an under. Because who wants to bet on an under? (laughs) <laughs> you sit there and what root Hope for the game to be it. awful yeah i could never see the attraction i mean you know some people take betting very seriously some people even do it for a living and you know if everything points to betting an under i guess you bet an under but as someone who's a fan way more than a gambler i just have no interest in an under and i can't see sitting there on sunday and believe it or not i think about this when i'm watching games that we pick i think about what i pick right yeah, i don't want to look like a clown um like Don does right now. It hasn't looked worked out. <laughs> but uh, I don't want to root for the under. I'm taking the over. And like you said, it's not going to be that hard for these teams to get there. We talked earlier about how there was an era of just kind of awful Super Bowls where maybe you'd get a good one once in a while. Lately, we've been the opposite. We've been treated to a lot of really good Super Bowls. But during that era, I mean, there were, might have been defensive teams, but the winning team might have put up 50 points. Right, like in that 55-17 to 17 Bills game, game we talked about. Or the right, 55-10 uh, 49ers Broncos game 52 so, 17 in the one Bills game right 52 right but yes ever since then I vote my moniker has kind of always been always bet the over in a Super Bowl so 
I will do it here also. The MVP is our third thing this week. We're going to count this as a bonus. If yeah, you this now, is you get a bonus. If we miss it, we're going to spare ourselves a little bit. I'm going to go a little bit deep here and take uh, Tom Brady as the MVP <laughs> of this game. If the Patriots are going to win, it would be close to shocking if it was anybody other than Brady. I mean, even when Deion Branch set the record for catches in a Super Bowl, they still gave it to Brady. Right. So the only guy that maybe has a shot at that would be someone like Gronkowski or maybe an Aaron Hernandez. But th- this is Brady's team. Yeah. My my logic is this. I pick the Giants to win, and usually the quarterback of the winning team wins this, right? right. I, I mean, Aaron Rodgers won it last year. I think that's right. I think so, yeah. Uh, Drew Brees won it the year before. I know that's right. I know Peyton Manning won it the year that he won it. Any quarterback that I can think of that won it multiple – or any player I can think of that won it multiple times as a quarterback. And uh, so I'm going to pick Eli Manning. If I pick the Giants to win the game, might as well pick their quarterback to be the MVP. Yeah, running backs sometimes will win that award too. That And they seemingly on paper have two good running backs, but they've been terrible running the ball this year. So And if a running back wins it, he's usually a star. Like a Terrell Davis or an Emmett Smith. Right. Those are running backs that come to mind. Those are star running backs. I don't know if there's a star running back in this game. No. My bold prediction this week. My thinking here is that Gronkowski either isn't going to play or that we've kind of heard from people is he probably will play, but he's going to be banged up a little bit. My bold prediction is that Wes Welker has more catches than any two Giants. I think if Gronkowski's not on the field, the Giants are also a team that aren't very good at defending the pass, but they are good at getting to the quarterback. So Brady's going to have to get rid of the ball quick. His favorite target usually on those quick balls is Welker. I know he's banged up too, which doesn't help this prediction all that much, but they that's why they're bold. All right, my bold prediction is that each team will have a scoring play of 60 yards or more in the game. Yeah, there was one of the prop bets was will there be any scoring play of like 49 yards or more, including defensive? Or yeah, six? I wasn't sure where to put the yardage because I wasn't sure what's bold or not, but I figured 60 is fair. It's basically a little bit more than half the field. That's how the Giants score, it seems like. And that's fun, and uh, that's what I'm hoping for this weekend. Yeah, I think I'm the bolder, hoping for a fun game. I think the bolder part of that is the Patriots. I think they're more methodical, whereas the Giants are more of a home run offense. You know, we uh, – we talked to our guests about this, but I want to ask you, Don, what would be a perfect game for you on Sunday? Like if you – when you say turn off the TV and get ready to go to work on Monday and you're talking to your wife, what will you be talking about that made that a game that you're not going to forget? Just something close, something that comes down to the wire, something exciting. I'm Living in Buffalo, you'd think I'd hate the Patriots. I don't. I've grown to respect them and the Bills have been irrelevant. That How, how mad can I be that they beat us all the time? Just give me a give me a close game and a good game. I don't want to see a mistake-filled game because if there's a lot of mistakes in this game, it's probably not a ton that the defense is doing other than maybe the pass rush of the Giants, but it's probably just players being off because they've been out two weeks. But just a close, preferably high-scoring game. I think I'm pretty average in that respect. You know, I've always rooted for this. It hasn't happened yet, but maybe with the exception of the Saints here because I didn't want anything silly to happen to Mara Super Bowl. But I always root for like Leon Lett to jump over the wall and chase someone who's running into the end zone <laughs> down and knock the ball away, you know, just so he doesn't have to hold that shame on his own. You started that, and I thought you were going to go with him always hoping for overtime in a Super Bowl. <laughs> oh, that would be fun too. But, you know. Leon Lett jumping over. Imagine Leon I'd... Lett breaking security, getting out on the field, and someone's coming down and yeah. maybe he just tackles him, maybe knocks the ball away either way that would be good that's wwe stuff there yeah that would be fantastic oh my god it's leon let's music (laughs) (laughs) 
All right, just a couple of reminders. Don't forget you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash the sportscasters. You can find us on Twitter at sports underscore casters. The sportscasters at gmail.com. Email us anytime. Our blog, which we will do some live blogging for the Super Bowl, sportscasters.blogspot.com. You can find us on Tumblr, the sportscasters.tumblr.com, and our website. We can find all that information is www sports-casters.com. Again, I want to thank our guests, Chris Burke, Carrie J. Byrne, and Christopher Price. Don, if you could cue the hip. <laughs> All right.